Welcome to Whiskey Business with Bo York. I'm your host, Bo York. And today we are talking about the challenge of crafting stories with meaning, like a deeper meaning. When you layer stories on top of stories with a purpose, because you want to get a message across through the lens of the story and, okay, trust me, I'm not going to go full Inception. But speaking of Inception, let's talk about movies for a minute. We all love a good movie and we all really hate a bad movie. If you think about how people will complain about a movie being a soulless cash grab, a lot of times what they're talking about is that the movie doesn't have that deep of a meaning or really a story worth telling. It's like a slot machine versus a AAA video game. You've got all the sensory elements there to stimulate the brain into pouring out cash, but no actual substance to communicate something deeper. By contrast, early Pixar films are a fantastic example of stories that on the surface have a very pleasant message with well-thought-out characters that go on their own journeys, but each one also has a deeper meaning. This layering of stories, to know the truth of what you want to communicate, wrap it all up in elements that connect with the audience, it takes many, if not most of us, years to create just one story. But there's a group of people that actually do this on practically a weekly basis. Faith leaders across various religious traditions are constantly met with the weekly challenge of crafting narrative to connect their congregation to their holy texts. I'm joined today by someone who knows this challenge all too well. Reverend Tyler Burns is a pastor, podcaster, writer, and justice advocate. He currently serves as lead pastor for All Nations Worship Assembly in Pensacola, Florida, and is the president of The Witness, a black Christian collective. As a writer, he has been featured by The Washington Post, The Atlantic, and The Religious News Service, to name a few. Tyler and I have a lot of history built up over the past 10 years of working together. We both grew up in the American church, though through different traditions, and met through an organization with a shared desire to promote justice and equity within and throughout our faith communities. And for myself, as someone who has since stepped away from the church, but still identifies as a person of faith, over the past few years, Tyler has not only been a close friend and confidant, but also a pastoral voice in my life that I greatly value. He's also a major proponent of the black church tradition and a devout student of preaching and the various styles and techniques used to connect the audience with the story. All right, we're here. Risky Business with Bo York. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Pastor Tyler Burns. Welcome to Risky Business. Bro, it's my honor to be here, man. This is great. We've known each other for 10 years. It's, That's wild, you know, right? It's a unique thing when you work with somebody in terms of like a podcast, then there, you reach these milestones in your relationship that with other people, you don't really like, you know, we've been friends for 10 years. We got like right. a 10 year anniversary friendship, <laughs> but exactly. kind of nice because you pause and you kind of take stock of the years and um, think back to those early Early days. Absolutely, man. I'm just so excited to be on here as you're uh, charting off into this venture, man. Congratulations, officially. Want to say, want to say, on Mike, congratulations, and uh, really excited about uh, what you're what you're stepping into and how it's going to help people. Yeah, what I'm stepping into is actually a really good way to put it because who knows where this is going to go. <laughs> but I appreciate that. Intentional language. Intentional language for sure. I, I gotta, you know, we. I just want to address this. Is you know, when I was thinking of what I'm going to call the new kind of era of storytelling. Uh, that I've been kind of working in. And as we kind of transition from podcasting into storytelling in a lot of different ways, to me, it was very, it was a risk. And there was kind of this like, okay, how do, what are we going to call everything? And I was also thinking like, what are some, you know, familiar catchphrases that people 
may have heard before and like, oh, at your own risk. That sounds real, real familiar. I know I've heard that somewhere <laughs> on almost a weekly basis. And of course, right. as part of your intro for Pass the Mic, of which you are a co-host on. At Burns Clan, please follow at your own risk. Uh, by the way, thank you for letting me just straight up steal that. Man, I don't own it, so I have no legal right. I didn't originate it, but uh, I think it fits you so well because I've seen you take some some calculated risks and some bold risks over the past 10 years of knowing you. And even to produce past the mic was a risk, right? And even to step into that space was a risk. So I think it fits you perfectly. And I'm, I'm totally fine with, uh, with letting you have it. I don't have any rights to it, but I'm totally fine with letting you have it nonetheless. Ben, yeah, look, 10 years, we've seen each other grow and do so many different things. I mean, I think about early Tyler Burns, kind of preacher's kid energy, and then seeing Tyler Burns become preacher. And then now you are lead pastor of your own church. And, you know, one of the things is I was thinking through this, this podcast in particular and kind of the exploration of storytelling in a lot of different uh, mediums. I mean, as someone who also grew up in the church, very familiar with various forms of, of preaching, uh, I thought, you know what? What better person to kind of dive into the realm of storytelling than somebody who literally does this on a weekly basis? For those that are not familiar, that maybe didn't grow up in the church, don't have mm -hmm. kind of the same, because as you and I both know, there's a lot of different expressions, even in Christianity, yes. of preaching. Like a homily might be something somebody's familiar with. Preaching might be something that somebody's familiar with. How would you differentiate between the two? Yeah, that's a great question. So I come from a Black Pentecostal tradition. So kind of more of your mainstream, um, close to non-denominational, popular type uh, church and sermonic style. So as a result, my preaching and my preaching style was crafted in a different way than someone who comes from more of a mainline tradition or denomination. But to make it simple, both the homily and the sermon are preaching. But the homily typically is just more informal and conversational in tone. It's shorter mercifully shorter. Um, it also connects with the, the aim is to connect with the audience to kind of bring down kind of a relatable level. And the sermon is more structured, more formal, uh, more theatrical, more dramatic, if we can say that. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, I'm sure. Yeah. But the sermon is kind of more, uh, more a presentation of what God is saying. And the homily is more I want you to connect with what God is saying. Hmm. So they overlap and both can inform each other. I actually say that homilies have now informed more sermons um, in this particular iteration of preaching and the church and things like that than it has in years past. So the main line and that style has more informed the sermon um, in, in kind of the, what they call, quote unquote, below church denominations. Hmm. So I would say that they inform each other and they interact, but they're both preaching. Right. They're just different styles. And even if and I think it's so important that you said it's narrative building, because most people just approach um, the Bible or uh, sacred texts as rule books, when in reality, those of us who preach them and teach them, we approach them as narratives hmm. and stories and stories that we find ourselves in and stories that we continue um, in modern times. I mean, it, it speaks to something that I've been really thinking through over the last uh, several years, the truth that became found in myth, right? The truth that became found in stories Absolutely. that are meant to, to hold a meaning and the truth that's in there versus like holding up something on a house of cards to like say, no, no, this is exact. This is concrete. Exactly. When 
it was never necessarily meant to be that way. You actually end up propelling up lies as opposed to getting to the truth that's actually there. I love what you say about like looking at scripture from a narrative standpoint as opposed to like a rule standpoint. And that's not a, most most Protestant evangelicals, you know, those who are in more of a what you say a Southern Baptist context or some of the popular preachers and um, sermons and churches that you'll see online they would see everything as fact. We would say that myth is not a bad thing, right? right. And myth also doesn't mean it's not true. It just means it's a type of story. So like we would consider Genesis, N.T. Wright talks about this all the time, a theologian. Genesis is, is myth, but but not necessarily saying that it's, it doesn't have truth in it or exactly. it doesn't contain truth. It's just a story, right? How else would you say in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, it's telling the same story in two different ways? Right. That's myth. Like, but it's not saying it's not true. It's just a type of story. And I think, you know, you bring that up so well in our conversations that sometimes we just cling to it has to be this way. It has mm. to be this certain way. And when in reality, um, there's just such a beauty in the story and the narrative and the mystery and the wonder and the ambiguity and the beauty of it. Right. Yeah. And I think that's what we miss a lot of times. I think that also keeps people away from, from church and sacred spaces just because they're thinking they have to believe a certain, they're like, man, I can't even get around this one thing. And it would help them if we kind of made it a little bit more narrative based, even if understanding, they don't have to believe, but just understanding, you know, that would probably help them. Truth surrounded by mystery is a, uh, it's a beautiful imagery. I want to make mention of this too, because during the pandemic, uh, one of the things I tuned into was this uh, priest. He's a Catholic priest. And his homilies, he very intentionally was a Catholic priest that was geared towards geeks and nerds, right? Like so he brilliant. wanted to make sure that all of his homilies had some sort of like reference to like, you know, Grogu from the Mandalorian or like whatever, you know, whatever he was pulling from. Maybe it was like a Renaissance fair or Star Trek or something of that nature. And, uh, and he was fantastic. And I'm I'm blanking on his name right now, but I'll be sure to put it in the in the show notes for the episode because I, I strongly recommend his content. He was an early adopter of podcasting, but that's neither here nor there. And so, you know, one of the things that that you know we see in a lot of preaching is kind of this kind of pulling in stories, be it from pop culture, be it from what's in the news, be it from their own life experience. And so I'm curious, man, like how do you where where do you go to in terms of looking for those connection pieces outside of scripture to kind of bring people to the message that that you're ultimately pointing them towards? And that's a great question. Number one, that priest is genius, you know, for making those connections because in our what it should be for us, I should say. And and this is kind of an overarching uh, thematic point about how we create and craft stories. Stories are not just for us. So when we're crafting stories, we're trying to welcome people into the story. And the, the point, the point of the story is not the storyteller. Right. So often we craft narrative around our storytelling experience versus crafting the narrative around inviting more people into the story in a way that they would understand. Hmm. So for me, I think it's crucial to know who your audience is. So immediately what you said was he crafts it around geeks. So he knows his audience. And based upon that, he puts in things that connect with that audience. And I think it's freeing to realize in, in our particular tradition that 
faith and truth are not opposed to those things, but also if you're not even whatever storytelling you have, your truth and whatever you're trying to convey is not opposed to relevance and it's not opposed to connection. So I'll give you an example. We were talking about prayer and in our context last week, we we're talking about prayer and we were talking about one of the key moments of prayer is um, adoration or what we call giving, giving God glory. Right. So for some people that's like, God, oh, it's weird. So they're like, how do you, how do you think about giving God glory? I've never seen God before. And I'm like, so if you go to, um, we all adore those who we love. So, so the point that I was making was you'll never invest in something you don't find beautiful, but if you find it beautiful, you'll invest in it. So I said, so like when you go to the Renaissance tour with Beyonce, what are y'all wearing? And then almost they're like, oh, the, the silver boots. Right. So I know my audience is going, they know someone went. So I did, you know, so it's not right. like y'all shouldn't go. So this is typically how it works. Y'all shouldn't go to that Beyonce concert. You should be at church. No, go to a Beyonce concert because I'm going to use that as, as, a, <laughs> as a sign that right. when you, when you see something beautiful, you invest in it. So see, like you invest in the boots, you invest in the outfits, you invest in the color scheme, much in the same way, if you find God to be beautiful. And if you see the beauty of God, you will invest in the relationship with God. Right. And so we're showing and making the connection that I want to go where you live to say there's echoes of this narrative and this concept throughout all of life that you can apply but I think you have to go to the people first. And this is the problem with a lot of storytelling is we go to us first and there's good in us to be able to share. But we also want to think about who we're trying to invite into this narrative. And so I'm, I'm going to, man, I can't remember the last time. And I'm not saying I've never done it, but I can't remember the last time I've done like an SEC football analogy or anything. Because <laughs> it just, that's kind of played like that's a Southern, like most people are not rocking with the SEC like that. They're not, you know, it's just kind of like, uh. I'll share, I'll share relevant stuff from my life. That's not what I'm saying. It's just more trying to help people understand where are they at and where is my audience at? And that takes a level of, I think, I guess the word would be um, humility and honesty to recognize you're not the center of the story you tell. And that's heavy when you recognize that. And that is, I mean, I got to imagine that's a, that's a challenge for preachers because like in a lot of what I've been exploring as I've been kind of working on this, this current project is that you pour a lot of yourself into the story because you have a story inside that you're, you're trying to tell. And even as you're presenting various characters, you have to figure out where you connect with those characters because they're going to be different from you. Like they have to be, it can't be like little clones of you all over the place or anything like that. It's going to get real, you know, real boring, real fast. But like when you, and then sometimes you have a character where you're like, we are so different in almost every single way and trying to figure out, okay, where can we connect? So basically there's almost like this, this self-focus of the internal truth that you're trying to tell about yourself yes. through these different characters. Whereas a pastor, you have kind of this goal of there's this truth. You have to kind of decenter yourself from the storytelling to focus yes. on the truth you're trying to put forth, which is fascinating. And also I would imagine very challenging because Tricky. a lot of pastors, man, they tell a lot of like, well, let me tell you about what my, my situation with my kid was or whatever that is. And there's a lot of stories that they'll, they'll tap into their own life to connect because it's the human experience. You know, how do you navigate that when you are kind of going to your own life stories for, for the sermons? And then also 
you know, we, we were just recently debating a certain comedian who's been called out for embellishing right, things right, slash right. making up some things. And, you know, and that's sort the of thing. So I'm kind of curious, where does the embellishment kind of come in as well? Yeah, I think that's a great that's a great question. So I think, number one, I'm trying to avoid um, what's the popular term navel gazing. Mm. So I'm trying to avoid reducing the story. Now, this is the danger, I think, that we have to to be aware of as storytellers is often we tell those stories because we have no other place to tell those stories. So often we tell those stories because we need to tell what happened, but we don't have anyone to tell it to. Hmm. So we Hmm. subject our audience to that. So we don't have friends. We don't have therapists. We don't have counselors. We don't have mentors. So the audience share becomes those. the therapist to some Audience extent. becomes <laughs> the place where we vomit, not the place where we share the story. We just vomit it on them. And then, so I'm trying to avoid navel gazing. I'm trying to avoid like, do I need to share this? Or is it, so I'll give you, a, I'll give you an example. Cause again, this is going to tie into number two. So I shared something two weeks ago. You actually were watching it. I shared something two weeks ago. I should not have shared with my church. So I shared something I literally should not have shared with them. It was a good application point, but it was something I should not have shared with them. Now, I think that's because I have a therapy appointment coming up. <laughs> There's like everybody is susceptible to it, but I shared it in the moment and I didn't exercise discipline enough to say they don't need to hear this. Right. And so that's me as a as a preacher, a young pastor, learning what I need to share versus what I don't need to share. And I didn't use names, but it was so close you could deduce. And so I said, ah, I shouldn't have shared that. Right. Um, and you can, this is the danger, you can justify it on the end. And this is the second part, which is, you know, yes, we want to avoid navel gazing, but then number two, we don't want to make ourselves the hero of the story. Mm, wow. If you make yeah. yourself always the hero of the story. It becomes more of a propaganda pulpit that builds your own myth. Wow. So now you're no longer pointing to the greater story. Now it's a propaganda pulpit to say, oh, wow, look at I'm building the myth of me using a story that I'm telling you is true or a story wow. that I'm telling you is valuable. And I'm just building my myth. And so it really becomes more of a propaganda pulpit than anything else to say every time. So every time I did the right thing, every time. I made the right decision every time I was this, I was that, I was this, I was this. I like, what? You know, and so we have to be so careful. And it's so um, it's also so tempting as well, which gets into the final point, which is, you know, talking about embellishment and truth. You know, I think that our stories will not always be word for word quotes, but our story should always contain the truth of what actually happened. Mm. And for us, you know, there's this idea about memory, right? Psychologists have talked about how sometimes when someone remembers something a different way, it doesn't mean that they are lying. It just means that the, the their memory of that particular instance is different based upon whatever trauma or stress they endured or obviously their memory, it literally changes the way their brain protects their body. And so there's a different memory cycle there. So it's not it's not saying that, oh, we have to tell everything word for word, second for second. But if it didn't happen, don't say it. Right. <laughs> like that's for us. I'm just saying for preachers, for preachers like we have to we ha- we are built on c- the credibility of the truth of our of our office. 
So if it didn't happen, we don't say it. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't dramatize. Uh, dramatize. That doesn't mean we don't dramatize the events, right? Uh, she did this and then her face changed. And you know, you know how she is. You know, you know what I'm saying? Right. You know how right. I am, right. you know. So, yeah, like there's, there's, of course, there's that. But and that's part of the the performance of preaching mm. and the drama of preaching. And so in fairness to your point about embellishment, we all it's all drama. It's all narrative. It's all theater. We just don't we just don't embrace it as preachers. And so then people get offended when they're like, oh, no, you're making it too dramatic. It's like that's good storytelling. Right. <laughs> like that's our goal. It should be. Some people like right? open up and receive and like they're it engaging. Yeah. I also come from a more expressive tradition. Right. Mm -hmm. So I do want to clarify that for people that my tradition is outwardly expressive. It has the call and the response, as they say. So as a result, people aren't, you know, necessarily just sitting and, and contemplating. They're interacting verbally and physically with what's being said and what's being preached. So there's a different level of interaction with our church that maybe you wouldn't see at other churches. Maybe you would see in other scenarios. We would see in other situations. And that doesn't make it bad or better or worse or anything. I'm just saying, so some of that, some of the drama may be heightened in a place that's already responsive. What I love, man, is you're not just this extremely gifted preacher, but you are also very much a student of preaching. Like you, you specifically go out to, you know, who you find as the greats and like, look at their craft, like essentially the craft of preaching to learn more. We were talking uh, this last past weekend, you mentioned a book that you've been reading where the the author, a pastor was kind of breaking down, almost using uh, like television concepts or, or vehicles right. for preaching styles. Man, unpack that a little bit. Yeah. So the book is called Preaching on Every Channel by Dr. E. Dewey Smith. And what I love about it is, number one, it acknowledges that communication and preaching and narrative storytelling is bendable. Right. There's a lot of different ways you can do it. And so in, in kind of not to get too deep into preacher talk, but I think people will understand this. Preaching changed after Dr. Martin Luther King. So everybody has what they call in preaching circles. There's before King and after King hmm. because he was the most popular representation of not just black preaching, but really for a time preaching itself. It was like right. Dr. King and Billy Graham, right? So even if you don't know, even if you're not from a church world, you know, Dr. King, you know, Billy Graham. And more specifically, you know, Dr. King, because he was on nightly news and there were reports about him. And at one point he was the most hated man in America, you know, all these things. And so it shaped the way people understood preaching. Like a so tone and a think. style was set at that exactly. moment. Exactly. Yeah. tell men to take your burden. Take your grief and look at it. Don't run from it. Say that this is my grief. And I must bear it. Look at it hard enough and say, how can I transform this liability into an asset? This is the power that God gives you. The, the tonality of his voice, the cadence, uh, the, the, the slow build, the, the big shout, right? The, all those things were shaping how people embraced preaching because that was all that they saw, right? So we didn't have all these popular preachers streaming. You didn't have YouTube. So all we saw was whoever was on our screen, that was the preacher. And so it shaped the way in which people express. And so it made people kind of think narrowly about preaching. 
And what Dr. Smith really does a great job of doing is he does a great job of showing different ways to approach the narrative storytelling moment that connect to an appreciation for television and specifically television writing and different genres of television writing, everything from legal drama to procedural police drama uh, to comedy shows to Mm. cooking shows to horror movies and sci-fi shows. And he gives a different style and a different layout for each style. So he gives a different way of approaching it, which is so brilliant because it's like, this is how you tell your story by appreciating the artists in another sphere, which I think is crucial. If you're going to be a good storyteller, you have to appreciate the artists that are also telling stories that are different from yours in a different way, in a different medium. And so I've, I've really grasped a lot of um, what he's saying and kind of tried to craft my sermons in a different way and touch them in a different way so that I can, I don't know, so I can connect with people really where they are and make sure that I'm also not, and this is going to sound weird, especially if you're not from the church world. So I'm not over-spiritualizing what is a narrative mm. issue. Hmm. Interesting. You know, as pastors and Christians, we just like, you know, people of faith, we just spiritualize everything. You know, we make it so spiritual. And honestly, people just need sometimes to hear a really good story. Hmm. Wow. That gets like, we, we're so deep into what does the original language say about this? And wow. He really confronted someone who was powerful and who was a king. And what does it look like to confront? Some, what does it look like to confront someone who has all the power over you? That's that's just a story. Tell the story. You don't have to. And I think there's like we have this idea that we have to create something so deep and spiritual when in reality, the story is just so beautiful. So just tell that. And I think it, it gives me the opportunity to appreciate the beauty of the story I'm telling. It creates that opportunity for people to kind of connect with the story. They may walk away with it with something completely different from what your intention is. I really appreciate you jumping on and uh, and coming on Risky Business with Bo York. Where can people follow you? How can they uh, check out your your sermons, your stories? Where, 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 where can they go to find you, man? Oh, that's hilarious, man. Because you know what I'm going to say, too. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Burns Clan. Please follow at your own risk. Um, and... <laughs> We also, I, I preach at All Nations Worship Assembly of Pensacola. You can find us online. And there's there's some sermons there, me stumbling through, through telling my own stories and trying to figure it out. But I appreciate being on here and being able to think about storytelling and narrative. And you're such a great storyteller and how you craft things, Bo, and uh, how you're able to translate things for the audience. So I can't wait to read the stories and consume and experience, in your case, uh, the stories that you're going to create. I think it's appropriate, not just that you're here for the first episode because of the the at your own risk element, but also because in this in the the play that we're working on, there's no true heroes and there's no like true villains, but the most villainous character is definitely a pastor. So it's always good to have like you know like no no I love pastors I love you know I'm not trying to say anything I totally here. get it. Listen, I get it. <laughs> and this is what's amazing, man. I just want to tell people that's that's understandable. Like right. we, I'm the type of pastor that. I know how I know how we can be. So I understand <laughs> we're human like everybody else. God doesn't put us in a special category. We don't believe that, but we I understand how people would see that and it's probably gonna be true too. So I can't <laughs> wait to see it. It's probably gonna be true. Oh man. Well, hey, Tyler, thanks so much for coming on for Risky Business with Bo York. 
Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Risky Business with Bo York. I've been your host, Bo York, and you can follow me on Instagram at incognitbo. You can learn more about the projects that I'm working on at interaor.com. That's interaor.com. And if all that spelling is too crazy, don't worry. The links are in the show notes. Be sure to check back in the next few weeks for the latest episode. And until next time, I've been Bo York, and this has been Risky Business.